The Headspace with Nile Pondwana. 10 to midnight. Welcome back and thank you very much for sticking around. You're still listening to The Hidden Space with me, Nayelu Pondwana. This is the second of two hours of The Hidden Space. I'm watching the news and I'm looking at Bojo. Is it just me who would like to see Bojo and the Don standing next to each other? Would there be a difference between Boris Johnson and Donald Trump? I'm, I'm just looking at them. My, my, my eye just wandered just there for a moment. Let's come back to our feature for tonight. And this feature is Women's Views on Our World Today. Women's Views on Our World Today. And we're celebrating another woman tonight. Uh, the, the object of our fiction for tonight and our attention is Zintle. Zintle Mube is our guest talking to us about her views on any and everything. And if you're one of those people who'd like to engage her, please feel free to call us on 0891-104-207. 0891-104-207. Remember, in the month of August, we take we took a resolve to celebrate young women. Uh, well, we had some weren't so young, but uh, the focus was on young women. And tonight we have a typical young woman. Um, and this is uh, a young woman who is not just a female. She is a woman who has contributed immensely in the world of academia. Zintle Mlube is a lecturer in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Johannesburg. She is a founding member of UJ's African Center of Epistemology and Philosophy of Science and is part of ACAPS's Medicine and Health in Africa Umbrella Project. Zintle is a doctoral candidate in the Department of History and Philosophy of Science at the University of Cambridge. Her research interests lie broadly in the philosophy of medicine, the philosophy of biology, and the philosophy of race. Sinclair has published papers on the biological basis of race and a causal construct of um, heritability estimates. Sinclair lectures undergraduate courses in metaphysics and epistemology. She is also an Irish Marian young scholar, a Cornelius. Is it go, go? Go Lightly Fellow and a winner of the 2017 British Society for the Philosophy of Science Doctoral Scholarship. This is just some of what you can read in her profile on the UJ website. And she joins us on the line. Good evening to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Um, we're going to take a break before we even get into our conversation and then we'll fly into it when we come back from the break. Stand by. At SAFM Radio and at Nayelu Pondwana on Twitter. synchronize our watches my time says 10 after 11 once again thank you very much for tuning in you're listening to the head space with me Naya Lupondo and we are together until midnight don't forget we'll have our open line at 30 after 11 right now we delve into and dive into our conversation with our woman of the night Zintlem Nube lecturer at the University of Johannesburg's Department of Philosophy very interesting stuff when I'm reading through very very interesting stuff so um, was this a matter of choice or chance that you are so invested in academia Zintle? it really was a matter of chance because my first degree is actually in journalism so my intention with going to university was to become a journalist initially 
but I did philosophy as a major in my journalism degree. And then I saw with that, that if you want to become a philosopher, really, or if you want to really delve into philosophy, you need a postgrad degree in philosophy. And so that's how I carried on in academia and yeah, ended up where I am today. Is there a chance of you coming back to journalism? It seems as though you're very invested. You have rooted yourself in philosophy. Uh, yeah, I think journalism was something I realized that I could do. I didn't have to like have a postgrad degree in journalism. It's something that I can t- continue to do with my undergrad degree, and it actually comes in handy in various types of ways, like in various engagements or, or places where I think my journalism degree definitely helps um, in terms of how to, you know. Say, say things and have them make sense the first time and okay. all of those kinds of things. So okay. I'm constantly using it, yeah. Let's talk about something that you, 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 you seem to have studied and you can help us perhaps give a, a well-studied and well-informed construct in our views. We're talking about the issue of race in South Africa and this is a conversation that we just cannot shake off. We're talking about Indians right before we spoke to you and the issue of race came up once again. It would appear as though in South Africa we have a problem, a preoccupation with race. And you have studied the issue of race. What exactly can you teach us that perhaps could change our outlook? I think what I could um, teach people um, is uh, my my research in particular with regards to race was looking at the biological basis of race and where there is such a thing. And so I think in South Africa, we definitely are preoccupied with race and it's easy to understand considering our history and the continued lived experience of people of different races in South Africa. So if you're a poor black person in South Africa, your race is being constantly reminded of how um, your race and how you were treated or how you continue to be treated as a result of your race. And what I could say about that is that even though we think we are so different, we think we look so different, even at the biological basis, there really isn't much difference um, between us. Most people think that races, for example, are heavily genetically different. But through my research, I've learned that actually there's more similarity between different races and there's more chance of you being genetically similar to someone or someone outside of your race than someone within your race. So I think actually these differences that we think might be biological are actually highly superficial. Um, it's really mostly all of these things that are happening in society, how we treat each other, all of these structural imbalances that are the issue more than something, some intrinsic difference between the races. Well, I'm going to spend much time on this, so I'm going to ask you perhaps if you could to, uh, accept our invitation to come perhaps for about 30 minutes and we can discuss the issue of, of race. Uh, would you accept that invitation, ma'am? I would, I would. L- lovely, lovely. Thank you very much. We'll take that up. My producer will call you and we'll schedule a time when you can come in and we can have a conversation strictly and purely about race and our constructs and our understanding of race and what it should be, perhaps what it should not be, as you're pointing out right now. Now, South Africa is not the only country that has a problem with issues of race. We're seeing the world over. Uh, the issue of race seems to be one of the pet peeves. And quite frankly, it's something that has shaped economics and every time we're looking at economics it seems to be racially oriented what do you think that is yeah as i'm saying i think these structural imbalances continue in society so it continues to be the case that um black people for example continue to be um, ill-treated and this continues to affect their economic situations but i think that the race the race issues are 
really quite deep because it ends up for me as well as I look into my research, it ends up affecting your health in the sense that if you look at the health of most countries where there are different races, it's black people who are at the bottom and all the people who are the most sick as well. So being black has a huge effect uh, when you're from these uh, different parts of the world where you happen to be the ones who are the most poor, but also the ones who are less healthy in those societies. So it's quite, it's issues that we really need to deal with because they affect people's lives, literally. We we are looking now at a, an unfolding situation. When I say unfolding, I'm talking about what is currently in the news, the issue of the elections in the U.S. and the re- recently elected Bojo, Boris Johnson, and uh, their... I'm trying to find a different word than the one that I've put here because this one is too candid for radio. Uh, their divergent views pertaining to women seem to not have escaped the ire of the media and the public domain. And I'm curious to hear your view as a young, uh, studied young person. Do you imagine that perhaps the issue of chauvinism and uh, the toxic masculinity and even the idea of patriarchy, perhaps of some perspective or permutations of patriarchy, uh, could still be alive and well with that generation of leader? And I'm sorry, the example of Boris Johnson and the example of Donald Trump. I think patriarchy and toxic masculinity continue to be issues that we see every single day, especially with these leaders. I think they continue to perpetuate old ideas about women and what it is that women can't and can't do. And I think that these types of ideas actually continue, even in young people, they continue to feel this way. I know if you think about um, academia or what I do as a philosopher and what people have in their visions of a philosopher is generally not a woman, for example. It's probably a, a white male, that kind of thing. So I think that these issues of toxic masculinity, issues of patriarchy definitely very much continue to be perpetuated in the media. But I think the particular views that Donald Trump and Boris Johnson have are highly pernicious because a women's position in society still has not changed. And the last thing we need is to have these eight old views on, on, on women. We need to be interrogating what we, what we think about women. But I re- what I really appreciate today is the call-out culture that we sometimes have on Twitter where uh-huh. if someone says something bad, someone says something about it today. It can get quite uh, messy as well. The call-out culture can get quite toxic itself. But I think it's a good thing to, if you see something or hear something that just doesn't sit right with you, to call it out there and then and to bring attention it and what these leaders say. Uh, perhaps I must just skip a few of the questions that I've written and jump to that one of the call-out culture and the Twitter-isms that you find. And it seems as though our culture of uh, hiding behind certain handles and saying any and everything under the auspices of calling it out or calling somebody out is becoming more of a troll culture than a call-out culture. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's true. It does end up becoming a troll culture. I think the good thing about the call-out culture is um, people know that they can't just say any and everything that they want to, especially like these um, uh, views related to talk, like that are really just toxic like masculinity plain. Um, but I think it does become troll culture in the sense that they, they lack nuance sometimes, especially you'd see in debates about feminism or debates about toxic masculinity. Some, but it lacks nuance because it is Twitter. It's difficult to say fully what you think. It's difficult to engage with people because people aren't engaging from the same um, like 
point of view or from you, you never know where people are coming from or what their intentions really are so that end up looking like troll um like troll culture that type of thing but i think it's important that people know that you can't just say any and everything people will interrogate your views yeah yeah uh, we we have that very same uh, sense of anonymity on radio when people would call in and give a different name people seem to have pseudonyms they use on radio and mm-hmm. you recognize that no no you're calling yourself tembega but we know you are <laughs> you're not tembega but that's that's what people like is it possible that perhaps we have a a, a, a generation of people who are not proud of their views to the extent that they would hide behind pseudonyms and hide behind uh, Facebook profiles and Twitter handles. Is it possible that the things that we say and do, we're no longer proud of the reality of who we are, we're not proud of, we'd we'd rather hide behind some pseudonym, some facade of of a kind? Yeah, I think anonymity just gives people the license to say not even what they I'm not sure if it's even what they really think I think sometimes people just want to say things to have the most savage opinion Uh to use that word that happens sometimes and I think anonymity gives you that cloak to say the most savage thing that you want to say so I think that's the thing with these Twitter discussions sometimes it's about what's the worst opinion or the most like extreme opinion rather than engaging really on a on a real level yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to take a break and come back. When we come back, I'm going to well indulge you as a philosopher um, uh, in one of some of the philosophical questions that perhaps you could help give us your perspective. Since after all, our feature is women's views on our world today. We'll ask you, and perhaps I should give you the question now, and you can mull over it, and you can respond when we come back from the ray from 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 the break. Does fate exist? If so, do we? have free will that's a philosophical question you must have come across and you probably have a, a ready-made answer for it so stand by i'll give you an opportunity to respond to that when you come back from the break let's have the conversation whatsapp voice notes on 0614 0891-104-207 If you're one of those people who would like to join the conversation you're free to do so 0891-104-207 We're speaking to Zinjan Nube who's a lecturer of philosophy at the University of uh, Johannesburg and she's a, a master of philosophy cum laude actually not just an ordinary pass cum laude so uh, she's uh, joining us now to give us her views on our world today and that's why we're having this feature celebrating women who have achieved more than just uh, the ordinary achievements but uh, who have gone beyond the call of duty so to speak I understand I've just publicized that phrase but I'm sure you understand exactly what point what, what point is Zinta, once again, thank you very much for joining us and appreciate your time. So, uh, the, the age-old philosophy question, does fate exist? And, and then the question that always follows, if it does, if we really believe in fate, uh, then does free will uh, exist? Because free will implies we can circumvent events to create our own fate. Fate, therefore, should not be able to exist because we create, by virtue of choice, we create our destiny and fate, uh, well, uh, by extension. So what is your view? Does fate exist and do we have free will? I definitely think that we have free will. I'm not sure if it's my my view are fully philosophical, really. I think they go into the spiritual realm as well. Okay. But I definitely think that we have free will in the sense, by free will, I mean that as a person or as a woman, for example, 
you are able to choose otherwise. So if you have a particular situation, you are able to choose otherwise. But I think about free will in the sense that you also are the source of your actions, as in you're the one who directs how you act in a particular circumstance. So I don't think it's necessarily up to fate. I think you definitely do create your own reality. And um, so, yeah, I do think that we have free will. And I think it's important to say that we have free will so that we can also tie that to moral responsibility. So if you do something that we might deem to be morally wrong, if we say that you have free will, then you are fully responsible for those actions and we can morally judge you to have been wrong or right, that kind of thing. Whereas I think if you say it's up to fate, sometimes it gives people license to not want to take responsibility for their actions. So I would say that we definitely do have free will um, for those reasons. So according to you, fate does not exist? Fate exists, but free will is more more pressing. (laughs) (laughs) But they cannot both coexist, can they? It depends. It depends. That's why I'm saying spiritually, that's where things get a bit more more sketchy. Philosophically, I'll say we definitely have free will. But then when I take things further, I I see that fate might exist there in, in, in the end. But to be clear or to be simple, I'll just say free will is the one that's at the head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I see you don't want to answer that one. When you speak of spirituality, what exactly are you referring to? There is a tendency to sometimes conflate um, and confuse, perhaps, religion and mm-hmm. spirituality, and sometimes even the heightened sense of the abstract world can be mistaken to be spirituality. And yet, all of these three, the heightened appreciation of the abstract world, spirituality and religion are all mutually exclusive. In your understanding, what exactly is spirituality? I wouldn't say they actually are mutually exclusive, but I think spirituality is definitely not religion. So when I speak about spirituality, I think about um, the universe and all of the things that happen in the universe. I'm thinking about things related to law of attraction, that kind of thing. That's why I think free will comes in as in you create your own reality as a person, the thoughts that you think, um, the way that you treat other people, those kinds of things. So I think free will is more of your relationship to the universe, if I can say it in a way, whereas religion is more really tied to which denomination you're a part of, um, do you believe that there is a God, that kind of thing, that there's more things related to what God can and can't do for you, or your relationship with God, that kind of thing. Whereas I think spirituality is more of your relationship with the universe, your relationship with nature, um, how you relate to other people, those kinds of things. So I think that's the the difference between those two things. So that's how I understand it, at least. It's definitely not something tied to religion. I am so looking forward to having this conversation with you when you come here um, for our 30-minute conversation. But final question, I'll let you go, madam. I understand you have lots of things to do tomorrow. I should not keep you longer than we have requested. Uh, The final question, when you look at humankind and how we have conducted ourselves right now, the, the, the rainforest is on fire, literally on fire. And yet this is one of our greatest protection tools as human kind it has been sucking the carbon dioxide and all these unwanted gases giving us at least five percent of the oxygen that we're right rightly and or 
unrightly or incorrectly consuming uh, the global community. It is currently on fire. We have leaders like the Don who don't want to acknowledge the existence of global warming and climate change and therefore would probably abdicate his responsibility of looking after the uh, natural world as we have it. Do you imagine that perhaps we as a human race will grow extinct and destroy ourselves with the things that we're calling development and evolution? I think we definitely are. When you think about what um, people who are studying climate change, that kind of thing, all of the things that they say, it seems like we are definitely going to um, have those kinds of environmental issues and be extinct in the end, as they, uh, as they say. They do predict that in the end, things aren't going to end well for us as human beings. So I think the issue with that, or the reason why people don't acknowledge things like um, global warming, things like climate change, things like what's happening in the Amazon, is that I think we're sometimes too concerned with, with what's happening in our immediate surroundings. So it can be the case that as South Africans, we're only concerned with what's happening in South Africa or Americans are only worried about what's happening in America. We don't see these um, international connections between us. About We don't see that what we're doing now, who it affects, that kind of thing. So I think if we think more globally, you know, if we think of ourselves, the worldwide community, and think of how what we're doing affects other people, our relationship to the universe, that kind of thing, the need to have a sustainable relationship um, with the universe, a good relationship with the universe, the need to change how we treat the universe, how we treat each other, and to really have these global perspectives in mind. I think all of that is what's important. I think that's what people who work in climate change are trying to, to make us realize. So I think it's just about a, a narrow vision that we have of ourselves and of humanity in general. We need to think of other people in a more wider scope and to really consider our relationship with the universe and really fixing the damage that we've caused over all of these years. So do you think we're going to go extinct? Eventually, if we continue in this rate, we will or we will, we will have ruined the planet, something like that. We'll have no planet to live in or there won't be any of us anymore, yeah. one of the two. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, thank you very much for coming through and talking to us. We really appreciate your time. We will contact my producers. We'll contact you and we'll have a conversation on race. Yeah? Thank you for having me. No, the honor is all mine, ma'am. Thank you very much. 30 minutes now after 11. And now we move on to the open line.